Simon Wollstonecroft is a drummer from Manchester. His first band at school was with Ian Brown and John Squire. His second band became The Smiths. He played with The Fall for 11 years and continues to play drums for Manchester bands today. Johnny Marr nicknamed him Funky Sai. This is Funky Sai's A to Z of Manchester. Hello, Simon. How are you? I'm very well, Jackie. How's yourself? Yes, very good, thanks. Have you thought about any holidays for this year? I've been thinking a lot about that this week, and I'm not sure whether, you know, we'll be able to go wherever we want. We seem quite restricted. If there were no restrictions, what's your holiday of choice? I'd like to go to Barbados. I've never been to. Oh, I've been to Barbados. Have you? Yes. Do you like it? it was fantastic. <laughs> it was from my friend's 40th. There were about 15 of us. And we had the greatest week. It's got two sides to Barbados. There's a really windy side and there's okay. a really calm side. I think you'd like it. No, it's great. <laughs> it's a lovely place. So if there is lockdown still, what's your second holiday of choice? Well, I'd have to go to somewhere like Oban in Scotland, northwest there at the top. Lovely little place. That. Have you been before? Yeah, I went, uh, went with my parents and my sister when I was younger. Best fish and chips in, in the UK I've ever had, anyway. Oh. Pretty good in Yorkshire as well, chippers. I, I like Scotland a lot. And so I might go there in the car, who knows? We'll have to see what uh, goes on. Are you a camper? Would you go camping? I'd only do it for one night. I've been to a couple of festivals and it, I'm just not suited to it. Neither am I. It's rubbish, <laughs> isn't it? When we did Tea in the Park, we stayed in a five-star hotel. Why not? And I think that's the way to do it. <laughs> Turn up at 11. Which one's this, Essex or the one in Staffordshire? No, the, um, no, tea, isn't Tea in the Park Scotland? Oh, sorry, Tea in the Park. Yeah, I thought no. You said v in the Park. No, Tea yeah. in the Park. So we were in Scotland, Glasgow, I think, is it? We stayed in a five star hotel with Kylie. Kylie was in the same hotel. Oh, yeah. And it was her birthday. So we all got invited to her birthday party. Oh, it was a great weekend. Brilliant. But. What, in her room? In her, well, she had the... It Sweet, was, I mean. Yeah, it was all in... We were sort of in lockdown in the hotel. I like a couple of Kylie's songs. Kylie is... Can't Get You Out Of My Head. How good is that? It's a great song. Yeah. And didn't she do well in Glastonbury? Did you see her recently? I've never seen her live. Oh, yeah, she... No. She was... Uh, they re-showed Glastonbury, didn't they, recently? And she had a great afternoon. i tell you who I did see at Tea in the Park. Oh, go on. Pink. Pink. She was amazing. I saw Pink at the Apollo. Right, okay. What a voice. Yes, they call it Scar, don't they? Do they? Scar music. Oh, is that No Doubt I'm thinking of? Yeah, I'm thinking of No Doubt. Did you see No Doubt or Pink? I saw Pink. <laughs> <laughs> I distinctly remember it. Wasn't she good, though? Yes, yes. So, if, you, she? if you could remember her. <laughs> well, we'll see if we can get on holiday, but it'd be nice, wouldn't it, if it we was. could? I always go to Wales. Yes. Go out for the day. Every well, don't day. make it sound like that's the worst possible thing. <laughs> I like Wales. I do. Yeah. Okay, we're on. What week are we on? We're on the uh, letter J, I believe. J. Okay. Week. So what's your motoring first? Motoring along, aren't we? We are motoring. What's your first J? Okay, first J is Judith, the landlord from the Vine, uh, which is where we used to go drinking. When we started drinking, it was a hub of activity for me musically when I was 17, 16. But she was, she was, she worked there. Or 18 if the police are listening. <laughs> but she, I really attracted to Judith. I just thought, oh, I've not, not got any chance here with her. But, you know, 
I'd probably go up to the bar with puppy dog eyes. Yeah, can I oh, have a pint no. of lark? Oh, dear. <laughs> and she uh, said, oh, we've got that, that scar you've got on your lip there. You've not been fighting, have you? <laughs> so I said, oh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was nothing. But well, I fell over when I was a kid and uh, cut my lip right open and got a scar on my bottom lip. <laughs> But I thought that was nice, you know, that she'd asked about it and it plucked up the courage to ask her on a date and then the date was going down to London to see the police, the vampires. What, and were you, would you be staying overnight with Judith? Well, we stayed on the train on the way home. OK, yeah. And those old-fashioned trains, you know, with a corridor down the side. Yeah. It was boiling hot, I remember that much. And, and how did the date go? Well, it was great. Um, we went down there, and it was a Sunday, 1980, I believe, just before Christmas, in a, a huge circus tent, you know, big top, packed out. I like the police. My sister, I've been listening, she'd bought their albums, my elder sister Jane. And I like the drumming on it. I thought it was great, you know. What's he called again? Stuart Copeland. Stuart Copeland, of course. Very good at doing reggae styles. He had all those big... Um, Octopads, Rototoms, uh, they were called, on his kit. You weren't saying all this on the date, were you, to Judith? Oh, no, probably not, no. <laughs> I do hope not. <laughs> but um, I was excited about seeing them, and uh, it was going great, you know. People were drinking beer <laughs> in there. Tommy Cooper was supporting the police that day. I liked a bit of Tommy, you know, you always saw him on Saturday night when we were at Mum and Dad's when I was a kid. And I did find him funny. He was you know, hilarious. Oh, just like that. <laughs> you know, in a daft sort of way. And he was he was doing tricks, you know, with the balls and the cups. But uh, the crowd were getting very impatient. And uh, they were going, we want police. We want police. And eventually, um, it was tragic, really. People started throwing bottles. Uh, at Tommy, Tommy Cooper? Yeah, and they had to pull him off uh, before his slot had ended, really. The band came on, they were great, and it was just a great uh, day all all round. And we got what was called the milk train back from Houston, which they don't have anymore. It was, must have been three in the morning or yeah. something, it sets off. Because nowadays, if you get the train back from London, you have to get the half 11, don't you, to Manchester? Yeah, it's rubbish. And then that's it till half six or whatever. Whereas you didn't have to stay over. But um, yeah, we had a little carriage there, me and Judith, come back to us, you know, Piccadilly <laughs> late on the Monday. And it just brings back great memories. And how long did the romance last? Uh, not too long. <laughs> I'm going to move on to my second. Jet we want anyway. to know more about the romance. <laughs> oh, honestly. My second J is Chili's nightclub in Manchester on, on Oxford Street there, uh, at the bottom of St James's Buildings, if you know it. Yeah, you used to go there, did you? Oh, I never went to Jilly's, no, I wasn't a rock chick. Yeah, it was a bit rockish, wasn't mm. it? It was also called um, Rafters, or, or was that the same, was, was that a different club next door? I got very confusing, because they changed the name three times. I went to see The Clash there, 1980 it was beginning of January. So just after your romance with Judith, I'm going to, get, yeah. I'm going to keep going back yeah. to this romance. <laughs> <laughs> Not long after. And uh, the Clash were in town. It was the 16 Tons tour they were doing. 79 going into 80. And, you know, the, the Clash took off in America by now. 
after London calling, so they're a big deal anyway. They did two nights there, and after the second night, or after the first night, the bands went down to play at rafters in the downstairs bit. It was incredible, really. You know, no health and safety, of course. People were just crammed in there. <laughs> it's only a low ceiling, it was just dripping mm. with condensation and God knows what else. Yeah. Honestly, it was pouring down. Mikey Dredd was with the band because he'd, he'd been singing our Armageddon time with them, you know, toasting. I remember just going down the stairs. It must have been like a, a special invite thing or competition or something. I knew the people who were run, you know, promoting it, the gigs, so I got in. And I just stood at the stairs there watching him do all these fantastic hits. It wasn't a long set, probably about 30 minutes, 40 minutes. It was just too much, the heat and everything. Probably the equipment started breaking down, you know, with all the stuff coming there. And uh, but that same weekend, The Clash recorded their single Bank Robber in Manchester at Pluto Studios around the corner on Granby Row. It's not there anymore, it's a car park. I've been in there myself, recording with The Fall, with a ghost in my house, in Pluto, with Grant Showbiz, I think. Uh, Ian actually saw, um, and Pete Garner, who was the first Stone Roses bass player, The Clash recording Bank Robber, because they'd heard a rumour, you know, they were recording, because we had inside info, you see. <laughs> and I wish I'd found out, because, you know, no, mo no mobile phones then, so I missed it, but... Topper Eden came out of Pluto, you know, for a sec. Ian saw him and they went over and they got invited in. Hung out for a few hours down there. So I was gutted about missing that. But uh, it was a great weekend, you know, think about it. Everything that I loved was, uh, you know, happening and all in that weekend. And I got to record at that same studio. It hadn't changed much. Pluto, when I went in in the 87, 86 times. It was all, a lot of wood, a bit like Strawberry Studios was, as I remember it. And a lot of pine everywhere. So back to Jilly's. I played there with The Fall, one of the very last gigs I ever did. I think Solar Race were uh, supporting the band, I'm sure, uh, which was Ailey Bradley's band. It was signed to Silvertone Records. I remember doing Cheetah Mill, my old favourite <laughs> that I mentioned before. Uh, yeah, it was one of the last ones I ever did with a fall. And was it as hot and sweaty? No, nothing like it. And I'm sure it wasn't the same. It wasn't downstairs when the fall played. It was in the other one. It was, you know, raf Jilly's, Rafters, who knows? But it was upstairs. Somebody will know. <laughs> yeah, they will, yeah. <laughs> OK, so what's your next, Jay? Well, it's what I like to call a John Peel session, which always started in Manchester. We never did these sessions when we were on tour or anything like that. We always had set off from Manchester in the morning. It was a long day. We've been a bit spoiled, the band, because we'd always had roadies, you know, and people carrying our bags and stuff. But it was just the band um, going travelling down, all of us on a bus, from Newmount Street the Falls officers, early in the morning, lugging the gear in, you know, the bottoms of the bus sort of thing. We'd set off, get down there, set the gear up, we made a veil. We did about 
probably about 10 sessions, it must have been. Wow, you must have been one of the bands that did the most sessions for John Peel. Yeah, one of them, for yeah. sure. Uh, he never came down, John. Did you ever meet him? I did, at his 50th birthday, another 50th. Right. At Acklam Hall, he was having a birthday party, and the full supported his, him for his birthday. <laughs> House of Love were on, I remember that, because Mark got really peeved at one of their dogs that was on a string, having a wee up the side of our tour bus. They got really mad about this, man. <laughs> I remember that. But we did meet John, yeah. We had a photo taken with him, which is um, out there somewhere, where we're all stood on a stairway. You know, I don't think Mark wanted to keep the mystique with John Peel. I'm sure it was the other way around as well. So they just, how are you doing? You know, oh, so there wasn't a close relationship? No, never. Even no. though you'd done that many sessions? No, Mark had a better a relationship with Peel's producer, John Walters, and he used to tell me how much he liked him and how funny he was. John, and I think he might have come to the Maid of Ale Studios, but John Peel, he never... The drummer from Mott the Hoople, Dale Griffin, was the in-house BBC guy, you know, behind the desk. You know, At Maid of Ale? At Maid of Ale. It wasn't always him, but we seemed to have him quite a lot. The band were really into Mott the Hoople. I could take them or leave them. Roll away the stones, all right, you know. <laughs> I hope you didn't tell him that on the day. <laughs> what was the experience like then at Maida Vale? Well, as I say, we got down there. We'd arrive maybe 11 in the morning, set the gear up ourselves in the big studios there, because there's a few of them. It's not just one, there's about six. Lovely part of town, Maida Vale. Chrissy Hine lives around the corner from there. We'd basically start going through the numbers that we'd talked about briefly what how we many did you do when you did a three or session? four i think right. it, i remember it being all live of course mm. you know well, that's the idea i guess so we've been practicing away and then mark won't be there he'd, he'd, he would have gone straight to the pub you know at 12 o'clock roll back in three o'clock come through the door he'd have a listen right <laughs> stop that sounds crap oh no Stop, you know, put some put some feeling into it. Come on, Craig. Straighten your back out. <laughs> <laughs> one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And it, uh, off we go again, you know, twice the speed or whatever. That, that we've been uh, practising the song at, which is a bit frustrating, but we got used to it in the end. But, yeah, not much happened. Um, and you didn't mind doing it, because live radio's it's it, quite nerve-wracking. Well, was it live, though? Was it live? I thought it was. I thought they recorded. How oh, were they? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Nobody can remember. I think it might have been live. Was it? We played it live anyway. <laughs> so that's how it sounds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By this time, we'd recorded the tracks. Uh, we'd go to the pub once we'd done our bits with Mark. It'd be tea time. And then we'd be in there, we'd roll back in. Dale's the engineer's looking at his watch. <laughs> it's BBC, this. <laughs> and, uh, of course, we, we would roll in late, you know, and it, it would always overrun the mixing of the tracks. So it can't have been live because no. they mixed it after. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we'd have to disassemble all the equipment by ourselves. <laughs> oh, honestly. <laughs> 
put it under the bus and drive home. So um, all in one day? Yeah, yeah. And well, yeah, it's not that long, is it? You know, no, but you did stay Some people work a, on an oil rig. Exactly. Some people work hard for a living. Hours a day. You didn't say, no, but you didn't stay over. You didn't make a No, break. generally, no. No. What was really frustrating was when we got to the Manchester area, Mark insisted we drop him off first, which is, I lived in South Manchester, so did Steve. Craig was living in Presswich by then, although he did live in Sale. So would it have made more sense to drop you off? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but well, beside the driver, you know, if he dropped me off first. <laughs> and uh, I remember, well, some, towards the end, I had a flat near the airport in Ashley, a little village there by the M56, and he used to get off there, you know, because he'd be on his bunk, drunk, <laughs> usually. But he sensed it when we got near Manchester and Presswich by the noise of the prop shaft and that, that we were coming into Manchester. Because you do, you pick up little things like that when you're living on a bus. That's hilarious. <laughs> we could sense we were near Manchester. Yeah. The signs probably helped on the motorway. No, he was in the bus. <laughs> <laughs> he was asleep in by the back. Then, yeah. So you'd say to the driver, quick, just drop me drop off Drop me first. off here at the end of the motorway, yeah. at the side of it, on the arse shoulder. Really? What, you'd sort of launch yourself out of the bus? Yeah, down this embankment onto this farmer's field. <laughs> Once, I lost all my... Uh, Back and well, some some a bit diary and what have you, telephone book, black book came falling out. And somebody found it in the village of Ashley, and they got in touch because you know because everybody knew it, and said, "Oh, I've got your diary." <laughs> it was they found it on the side of the moat uh, on the embankment down there. Was yeah. it just stories of Judith in your diary? Judith, <laughs> <laughs> she'd gone by then. She was long gone by yeah. then. <laughs> oh, she's all right. Yeah, I do. So John Peel sessions, they must have been great, though. Yeah, what, the, the, the experience of recording it? Yeah, well, it always was in a studio. It didn't make any difference to me. But just yeah. the fact it was John Peel, because everybody held him, you know, his show was so popular. Yeah, it was. I wasn't a massive... Uh, I didn't listen to him every night, you know, late at night, under the bed covers, like a lot of my uh, contemporaries seem to have done. I wasn't that into him. But uh, he did play great stuff and broke lots of great bands, you know, Smiths included. Did he break them? He certainly helped. The next letter J is the designer, Lloyd Johnson. Now, when I was a teenager, me and Ian and John would do a pilgrimage to uh, the smoke, you know, get the train down. I think we got the coach a couple of times. You know, do the Carnaby Street. Later on, we'd buy two-tone suits and fishtail parkers, although I, I didn't have a fishtail parker because I wasn't into scooters like Ian and John were. But before that, we'd started going in the shop, which was owned by Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren. I think they co-owned it. But they had a, uh, the Sex Pistols were formed in that shop, the bottom of King's Road, it's called World's End around that area. And so this was, you know, like the mecca of punk. I noticed that they were selling uh, Johnson's clothing, this uh, English fashion designer who was a mod, you know, in the 60s. And where would you have heard about him or read about him? Good question. I'm not sure. Well, people were wearing the clothes. Rod Stewart was a famous customer of his in the mod period. 
the Clash were wearing them, George Michael's jacket that he wears in the Faith video, that leather jacket, it's BSA, but it's a Johnson's, you know, special edition, very expensive. But they used to sell, um, like, these jeans, um, which was about the only thing I could afford, with a red stripe down on Johnson's. It was um, the, the Le Rocca offshoot, and they had a skull and crossbones on these, uh, on the buttons, uh, and, you know... And could you only get them <clears throat> down in London? Yes. And now Johnny Marr, back up in Manchester, realised this, and he was working... Well, he worked at Aladdin's Cave clothes shop in the Arndale, and then X-Clothes, and X-Clothes were actually next to Joe Moss, who was the first Smiths manager. He had a shop called Crazy Face next door. It was off Chapel Walk in Manchester. But I think Johnny saw an opening there, and he's quite business-like, Johnny. And he, he started bringing all these stuff back to X-Clothes to sell them. You know, he'd pick up free samples and stuff. He had some great clothes. And when I first noticed Johnny, when I first met him in back in the vine, I think Judith was there that night. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, he had a Johnson's leather jacket on with his skull and crossbones, silver buttons, dead tasty, really well cut. I did get one uh, later on, a Johnson's leather jacket. It didn't look as good as... It looked better on Johnny. There's a picture of me in Johnny's book, Let the Boy Play, of me, when I was in Freak Party, with a Johnson's leather jacket on. I look like I might be out of ABC or something, which is what I wanted, as I think I told you before. Yeah. So and you'd I, go down to London... Yeah, yeah, well, that's pretty much it, really. But, but you couldn't afford much of the stuff, so what are you doing, no. just looking at it, or are you...? We're just looking at it. But This shop, it had been called Sedition Res, it had been called Sex, and it, it was just a holy place to go, and they sold these Johnson's clothes made by this designer who was selling it all, you know, to the pop stars. We just thought, oh, I won't, I won't mind a bit of that, so we'd have to save up. Because they were very expensive, these jeans. I think the Clash were wearing them. And I remember John had a pair with a, a red stripe on each leg going down the side. You had to go with your brothel creepers and your crombie and your neckerchief. That uh, sounds delightful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they weren't real crombies either. You know, they were off Carnaby Street. <laughs> Knock-off ones. So you'd you'd head down to London, but you'd have money saved up, so you'd want to always buy something. Yeah. That was the idea. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We'd, we'd walk around, uh, you know, different sites. We'd walk around all night. Um, Are you just going for the day? You're going there and back in the same day? Sometimes, yeah. But, yeah, most of the time we'd go back the same day, I'm pretty sure. But it wouldn't have been on the milk train. They only did that once, you know, Judith. <laughs> On your special date with Judith. Yeah. You're mentioning Judith a lot, I think. <laughs> right, my next one is going to be John the Postman. Now, John the Postman was a local legend. He's, unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. But when punk started off at the Electric Circus, you know, in 76, 77, Buzzcocks... He'd, he'd get on stage and the fall, sometimes after the, the uh, actual gig by the headliner, start doing his own stuff, you know, singing. 
Louie Louie mostly, uh, the old standard there. And people just lapped it up, apparently. I never saw him. But John um, was a great friend of Mark's. He used to work in the office at Newman Street, running the Cox Sinister label. Can I just ask, I mean, I know it might sound a stupid question, but why was he called John the Postman if he worked at the record label? Well, he was a postman before that. OK, just yeah. checking. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a postman a few times. He kept going back to being a postman. You know, it's a good uh, thing, a good, good exercise, you know, meet people. Why not? You're getting out and about, <laughs> yeah. keeping fit. I think uh, Jez Kerr, uh, another singer I've worked with, he, I think he might have been a postman as well. And probably a lot of other people do a great service, the Royal Mail, for the money. You know, sending a letter across the world or whatever. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, John, yeah, so we had to do a little stint, the band that is, at Newmount Street. But John, he absolutely loved it and he was totally in his element when it was John's turn to be in, which is most of the time, because we'd try and shirk out of it. Well, I would anyway. I didn't do any work, nobody ever rang. So... <laughs> But he absolutely loved it, and uh, what a nice fella he was, you know, John. And so did he have... He wanted to be a performer himself, did he, really? Yeah, I think he did a couple of albums um, when he started off. I don't know what happened later on, whether he was still doing that. And I can't understand why he wasn't ever a member of The Fall, seen as everybody else in Press, which seems to have been. Was that true, though? Well... <laughs> <laughs> But why wasn't he a member of the fall if he hung round and he was... Well, there was already Mark singing, I suppose. Oh, would he only have been a singer? I thought He was known for this Louie Louie. That was his, you know, party piece. OK. That everybody loved. And, he, you know, he'd get when the band had come off, he'd get on before the encore, grab the mic and just lay into it. And everybody would go, Way! <laughs> So that's John. Next, Jay is Jabez Clegg, which, well, I played there once. So it's a venue in Manchester, It's a venue it? in Manchester. A bar that's um, got an upstairs room that used to start putting live acts on, didn't it? It didn't always have it. It was just a bar for quite a long time. Yeah, I never went in it. I only went in once. Oh, did you know? Well, it was quite a studenty, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was yeah. right in the middle of the university. That's right. Right near the uh, academy and everything else, down there, down the side street, Dover Street, is it? Yeah. Great building to look at, Victorian. It's a shame it's another one that's been... Well, I think the university bought it. Same with the salutation. Round the corner, brilliant little pub where I saw Frank Sidebottom, which is why um, I, I ended up playing Frank Sidebottom's memorial gig that night. It took me a while to get Frank Sidebottom, I've got to admit. What, to get the humour? yeah. Perhaps I'd not watched it and, or listened to it, but when he started doing Hit the North, <laughs> my sort of ears pricked up, and I thought it was quite funny. <laughs> but we played there, which is uh, Memorial, and uh, that was one of the last times I saw Mark. He was playing... I was with Jess Kerr that time, Family Bazaar, and it was a great venue. You know, really, I remember really enjoying playing there, great sound and everything. And I was just leaving, and Mark was coming in with the fall, with whoever was on drums, you know, now. And uh, So what year was this? Um, it was about ten years ago, I think. OK. Or nine years 2010? ago, 2010? Like. About that. Yeah. Maybe a little later. Right. 
And uh, he sort of saw me and nodded, gave, you know, gave a, a seal of approval, <laughs> which I was glad because we'd not left. On, I hadn't left the band on great terms with him. And he said, oh, you know, thanks a lot, you know, you're resigning. Uh, you know, I've took you around everywhere, giving you this, giving you that. So I was just kind of hoping if he ever did bump into him that he'd be OK and he wouldn't hold it against me. So it was really nice my moment, but we were just two ships passing in the night. And the, I, are you OK, Mark? Yeah, good. Still in Altrium? Yeah, yeah. And that was it, and off I went. And then in he went, you know, to go on stage for Frank. So you didn't watch him then? You didn't watch the, the new fall? No, I didn't, no. 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 So why didn't you watch the fall? Uh, well, I probably had something to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd just been playing, you know, carting my drum kit around everywhere. <laughs> probably just wanted to get home and have a cup of tea. I wasn't really listening to the fall after I left them. Not really. Apart from that car advert, the Vauxhall Corsa advert that came on, and they, they used the fall as the theme tune, didn't they? Good song, actually. But so apart from that, I didn't really hear anything. Oh, so you didn't keep up with what was going on, or...? Not at all, no. no. And I only occasionally play the odd fall single that I was involved in over those 11 years. You know, telephone thing might be one of them, and uh, Hit the North. Terry Waite says... Really fond of that, Terry White says. My next Jay, John Squire, guitarist with the Stone Roses, who was my classmate, as I told you, with, uh, along with Ian. When we started the patrol, he and myself, because I was playing a little bit of bass or trying to learn the bass, because I bought that uh, K Precision copy from Woolworths, 50 quid that I flogged in after I got on the kit full time. We used to go to um, near John's mum and dad's in Simply, to, uh, literally around the corner, to an old guy called Mr Morley, <laughs> who was teaching us to play, but I gave it up after a couple of weeks. And John, he, he carried on a bit longer, but um, he was a lovely old guy, you know, white hair like me. <laughs> But he had a higher waistband on his trousers than Simon Cowell. <laughs> 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 it's like a, they were literally the top of his chest, uh, Mr. Morley. But um, I, I, John got bored of it too because he was teaching us uh, Hickory Hickory Dickory Dock, the Rouse the clock. He'd play it on the piano and get John to uh, go along on the notes and he'd have the book open. And uh, we, we wanted to be in a punk band. You wanted to play The Clash. <laughs> So, yeah, that was a... I don't know how long John stuck it for, but it can't have done him bad because he's a great guitarist. Well, he is, so so he's not self-taught then. So do you think he took he had other lessons somewhere else? He may have done. I don't think he did, though. You know, he did practice a lot. Maybe Mr day. Morley did much more than you think. <laughs> With his high-waisted trousers. Yeah. Did he have braces on he, these trousers? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. It's excellent. He must have been quite rotund and short for it to be like that. <laughs> So you went to school with John, didn't you? Yeah, and later on, um, another J, a Jet 125 by Lambretta, was his scooter, which, you know, Ian had one. He had a Vespa, Ian. He told me it went 80 mile an hour. <laughs> the one he had that he kept in his flat in Hume, uh, in Charles Barry Crescent, I think, there. But John had a Lambretta, and it was you know, smaller and thinner. I think it was blue, a 60s one. 
whenever I went round to John's, because John and Ian lived right near each other, only about eight hours away, it was always in bits, you know, on the garage floor. <laughs> Plugs oiled up again, John, I'd say. <laughs> and he'd, uh, he'd be having a rag there and uh, riping the spark plugs. But, uh, yeah, I, as I say, I never really bought into the scooter thing because my, my mum said, as, you know, when she works at Winshaw, Simon, don't please don't get a motorbike. So I never did. Stuck to my promise there. Very good, yeah. So they, But they carried on and became scooter boys. They did. I think they've met Manny um, on, you know, through that. He was a, a North Manchester scooter boy. And lots of people. Uh, Maxie, who plays drums with Ian now, I think he's a scooter boy. Uh, it was a good cheap... I mean, there were a lot of lads at my school that got scooters. Yeah, I just got these old bangers, you know, Triumph. Yeah. <laughs> breaking down. <laughs> but safer in your mother's eyes, yeah. you see. Yeah, you won't get wet. <laughs> <laughs> we need a soundtrack for Jay. What have you got? I've got Snoop Doggy Dog. Beautiful. Next one is Snow Patrol, Spitting Games. I've got Reflections by Diana Ross. Next is... Theme for Great Cities by Simple Minds. The last one is Steal My Sunshine by Lenny. This podcast was produced and edited by John. Post-production is by Carl Svensson at Tadar Media Limited. Music by Colin McGrath, Joe Brown, Johnny Smale and Simon Wollstonecroft. And the artwork is by Lee Dyer. This has been Funky Size A to Z of Manchester. Thanks for listening to Funky Size A to Z of Manchester. If you're enjoying this series, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.